Go ahead and open up your Bibles to Genesis chapter 39, please. Genesis chapter 39. Joseph was 11th son of Jacob, the first son of Rachel. Rachel was Jacob's beloved wife, and Joseph became Jacob's favorite son. Uh, we've already covered that material. We'll just bring us up to date here. Uh, why, why study Joseph? Why are we even looking at Joseph? Uh, this is like our third message on Joseph. There is more written about Joseph in the book of Genesis, or equal amount, about Joseph as there is Abraham. So there's a lot of information, obviously, to glean from Joseph. And this isn't the last message on Joseph. We're still at least one more and possibly two. But, but Joseph, whether, whether he experienced triumph or tragedy, and that's, that's one of the reasons we look at Joseph, because you know what? We, we experience triumph. We have our highs and we have our lows. Whether it was a triumph or tragedy, uh, Joseph never wavered. He never complained. He never compromised. He never gave in to temptation. He, his life stands as a model of what every believer should strive to be, whether tragedy or triumph. He lived to be 110 years old. There is no sin attributed to him in Scripture. I don't believe that he was sinless, but when we look at other Bible characters, many times they point out they're bad as well as they're good. There's no sin attributed to Joseph. Yet, he had experienced tragedy as well as triumph. We've already looked there at Joseph as a son in Canaan, and we, in 37, Joseph as a slave in Egypt. We're going to spend a little more time here, and then the last thing we'll be looking at eventually is Joseph as a prince in Egypt. This next section basically is the penthouse to prison. We're looking at Joseph as he went from Potiphar's house, he gets into prison. Now, we've already covered that material there in, in chapter 39. But what I want you to see is the similarities that take place in that process. In the penthouse, verses 2 through 6, chapter 39. The Lord was with Joseph. He was a successful man. He was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. Then he made him overseer of his house and all that he had put under his authority. So it was, from the time that he had made him overseer of the house and all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake, and the blessing of the Lord was in all that he had in the house and in the field. Thus he left all that he had in Joseph's hand and did not know what he had except for the bread which he ate. There's four things that stand out there. First of all, the Lord was with Joseph. Okay, he's in the penthouse. The Lord was with Joseph. Keep this in mind. He found favor in the sight of Potiphar. The third thing is he, placed, he was placed in charge of the estate. He was the steward. And the last thing is the Lord blessed Joseph's work and made everything he had to prosper. All right? The Lord was with Joseph. He found favor in the sight of Potiphar. He was placed in charge of the state. The Lord blessed Joseph's work and made everything to prosper. Now go to verse 21. He's in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy. He gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. The Lord was with Joseph. Remember, the same thing that happened in the penthouse. He's at triumph tragedy. The Lord was with Joseph. He found favor in the sight of the prison warden. Then verse 22. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners 
who were in the prison. Whatever they did there was his doing. The keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him, and whatever he did, the Lord made it to prosper. The Lord was with Joseph. He found favor in the sight of the warden. He was placed in charge of the prison, and the Lord blessed Joseph and made everything to prosper. See, whether he was a, tri- a triumph or tragedy, whether it was the penthouse or the prison, God caused these things to happen in Joseph's life. It didn't matter whether he was in the penthouse or prison. Life changes, doesn't it? See, I can still remember back, and maybe you, most of you probably can, but most of you, and probably half of you can't, I can still remember a manual typewriter. Remember the old dial telephone? You don't remember those? <laughs> hey, life changes. Science fiction is today's reality. I remember my son, when he, he was taken to some demonstration, and it was for the intelligence group, and he got assigned to go with them. And uh, when he came back, he, he called me. He said, I can't tell you what I saw, but I can tell you this. Everything you've ever seen on James Bond, it's real. Life changes. Our living conditions also change. Our circumstances change. Our job, our income, our health, our location where we live, our family. Things change. Whether it's triumph or tragedy, these two things stand out in Joseph's life. First of all, Joseph experienced the presence of God, and the Lord was with him. It didn't matter where he was or what he was doing, the Lord was with him. It didn't matter whether he was at the height or the low, the Lord was with him. He experienced the presence of God. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 and 6. Let your conduct be without covetousness. The the author of Hebrews is writing to the Hebrew Christians there, and he's talking about contentment. So he says, If your conduct be with let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things you have. Listen to me, whether it's in the penthouse or in prison. Be content with the things that have been provided for you. For he himself has said. Now, when he writes that, or when you see that in Scripture, it means someplace else, what he's just about, what he's just about to tell us, was said someplace else, or earlier in scripture. So he himself has said. So early in scripture he said this. And all the, all the writer of the Hebrews is doing. He's repeating it to remind you. Remind us of this incredible promise. Which I'm going to read to you. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said. I will never leave you. Nor forsake you. So we may boldly say. The Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? It doesn't matter my circumstances. He has promised he will never leave us nor forsake us. And when did he make that promise previously? And how in the world would these Hebrew Christians know about what he was talking about? Genesis chapter 28, verse 15. His promise to Jacob. He said, Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. 
doesn't matter your circumstances, Jacob. I want you to know that you can count on this. I will be with you wherever you go. Deuteronomy chapter 3, verse 6. Moses was encouraging Israel as they're about to enter Canaan. He said, Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear or be afraid of them. For the Lord your God, he is the one who goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. As he has said previously, he will never leave you nor forsake you. Even though your circumstances are going to change drastically, you're going to leave wandering in the wilderness to the promised land that's flowing with milk and honey. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Also in Joshua chapter 1, verse 5, Joshua is getting ready to lead Israel into Canaan. The Lord appears to him and says, No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. I will not leave you nor forsake you. So the author of Hebrew comes along, talks to them about contentment, and he gives this incredible promise, for he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear, what can man do to me? That's awesome. Just think about it. It doesn't matter your circumstances of life. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Never. Ever. The second thing I wanted to see there, Joseph's experienced the goodness of God. Romans 8.28 And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. Joseph found favor in the sight of the warden. Joseph found favor in the sight of Pharaoh. The blessing of the Lord was in all that he did, whether it be at Potiphar's house or the prison. Whatever he did prospered, was made to prosper, came to completion. He experienced these things. Listen, and we know now, now, we doubt, maybe I should read it that way. But when Paul is writing to the Romans, he says, we know, this is something we know by experience, this is something we know is true, even if we've never experienced it. And we know all things, not some things, whether I'm in the penthouse, well, we know that's going to be good, but he's saying, when you're in the prison, it's going to be good too. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purposes. Tragedy or triumph, it's for our good and his glory. And and I understand that's a hard concept to understand, but Joseph experienced the goodness of God. Corey Ten Boom was a Dutch Christian who, with her father and other family members, helped Jews escape the Nazi Holocaust during World War II. She was later captured and put in a concentration camp. This is what she wrote. Often I've heard people say, how good God is. We pray that it would not rain for our church picnic and look at the lovely weather. Yes, God is good when he sends good weather, but God was also good when he followed my sister, when he allowed my sister Betsy to starve to death before my eyes in a German concentration camp. I remember one occasion when I was very discouraged there, everything around us was dark, There was darkness in my heart. I remember telling Betsy that I thought God had forgotten us. No, Corey, said Betsy. He has not forgotten us. Remember his word? For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards us who fear him. Corey concludes, 
There is an ocean of God's love available. There is plenty for everyone. May God grant you never to doubt that victorious love, whatever the circumstances. God is good. Joseph experienced the goodness of God, and he experienced the presence of God, whether it was in the penthouse or the prison. It didn't matter the circumstances. That's why we study Joseph. Now, this is, uh, I'm going to go to verse, or chapter 40. This is a, just, you'll kind of see where I'm going with this, I think. But um, as we look through this chapter, I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but I wanted to get a sense of this chapter because, for instance, our disappointment, his appointments. He's in the prison, and, and you know, his life moves pretty, pretty fast along here in chapter 39, but now we have 23 verses that take place while he's in person. Now, there's some lessons we can learn from that, but also I want you to see... You know, God's, God, sometimes God isn't on time, but he's never late. Okay, God is never late. In our thinking, with, we, you know, as you read through this, okay, in verse 4 of 1, chapter 40 then, he should be out of prison, right? But there's, there's events that happen here, again, lessons that he has to learn or lessons he learns as he looks through chapter 40. Our disappointments are God's appointments. All of us face disappointments in life, some point, some time. And we, get, and we can get so caught up in those disappointments that we miss God's appointment. We miss God's message. We miss the lesson he's seeking to teach us. We get our eyes so much on the circumstances of life that we miss the God of the circumstances. Our disappointments, and, and we all have faced disappointments at different times and different ways in our life. But if we look at them and say, okay, God, what are you trying to teach me through this? There's, a, there's an appointment here. There's a purpose here. Our, our disappointments are God's appointments. And here in these first eight verses, he meets two men. It came to pass after these things, verse 1, that the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their lord, the king of Egypt. This is the, the chief butler and chief baker. The chief butler was like the cupbearer. Remember Nehemiah, who was called the cupbearer? Well, basically, he was the food tester. Before the king ate, he would test the food. And if he died, the king knew that he shouldn't eat the food. He was in close proximity at all times to the king. Uh, He had to be in a trusted position, and he had to be absolutely, unconditionally loyal to the king. So he had the chief butler. The chief baker was the one who made the food. Again, probably had close proximity to and contact with the king. Uh, he had to be trusted, and he had to be absolutely unconditionally loyal. Now, what did they do to offend the king? I don't know. Probably had something to do with the food, you know. Uh, but anyway, they displeased the king. They were both placed in prison. Well, guess who they met in prison? Joseph. Verse 2. Pharaoh was angry with these two officers, the chief butler and the chief baker, so he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard. Now, that's interesting. In the house of the captain of the guard. Who was captain of the guard? Potiphar. So the question is, and I don't know the answer to this, I just thought it was interesting, is the prison that Joseph is in, is it in the Potiphar's house? You ever think about that? I don't know if it makes any difference. The bottom line is he was in prison. <laughs> okay. So anyway, he, he's the, and they go and in the prison, the place where Joseph was confined, same place Joseph was, And the captain of the guard charged Joseph with him, saying, 
with them, and he served them. In other words, apparently Joseph had many responsibilities in the prison, but he was specifically assigned to take care of these two men, specifically, to serve them. So they were in custody for a while. Then the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, had a dream. Both of them, each man's dream in one night, and each man's dream with its own interpretation. And Joseph came into them, and in the morning and looked at them, and he saw that they were sad. Now Joseph, perceptive, uh, I think he took his job very seriously. He was in charge of these two guys. Uh, he was, he was uh, uh, when he saw them, uh, you know, some people are more sensitive when they see people's expression. They know that there's something difficult, something wrong. And when he looked at them, he knew that something had happened. And so he says, uh, so, there says, so he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in the custody of the Lord's house, saying, Why do you look so sad today? And they t- said to him, We each had a dream, and there's no interpreter of it. And Joseph said to them, This is a very important and significant statement by Joseph, because he says, Do not interpretations belong to God. To them, tell them to me, please. Who does this interpretation belong to? It doesn't belong to man, but it belongs to God. He's going to do the same thing when he interprets Pharaoh's dream in chapter 41. He's going to give the credit to the Lord. Because, see, Joseph had experienced the goodness of God and the presence of God. And he was not going to take credit for what the Lord was doing or going to do. This, it, was, it was very important that Joseph meet these two individuals. Yes, I'm sure he'd like to be out of prison, as we'll see later. But our disappointments are God's appointments. He brought these two men into Joseph's life for a specific purpose. Now, if you go down to verses 9 through 19. Uh, good news, bad news. I'm, gonna, just gonna, I'm not going to read through that, all those verses. So he tells Joseph the dreams. Joseph interprets those dreams... And the good news is one of the men is going to be restored to his position, and the other one's going to hang. Good news and bad news. All right, let's talk about the butler's dream. Summarize it this way. He saw a vine in front of him with three branches. The branches were brought forth grapes. He squeezed the grapes into Pharaoh's cup, put the cup in Pharaoh's hand. That's the end of the dream. Real short and sweet. What's the interpretation? Again, summarize it. He states the facts that there were three branches refers to three-day period. On the third day, Pharaoh would get you out of jail, and he'll have you your, and you'll have your old job back. So the three branches speak of three days, and what he's saying is, listen, in three days, you're going to be restored to your position as cupbearer. Good news. Now look at verse 14. This is interesting. This is probably as close as Joseph gets to complaining. I don't think he's complaining, but it's as close as he gets to complaining. He says, But remember me when it is well with you, and please show kindness to me, make mention of me to Pharaoh, and get me out of the house. Verse 15. For indeed I was stolen away from the land of the Hebrews. I also have done nothing here that they should put me into the dungeon. That's the only time we see any reference that he knows he was unjustly treated he's put in the dungeon. So he puts in a little commercial to the butler. He says, by the way, you're going to be restored to this favorite position. When you get a chance, would you remember me to Pharaoh? Just 
kind of. Okay. Well, then the, then the uh, baker hears the interpretation of the dream and realizes it's good, and so he says, I'm going to tell him my dream, because if the butler's was good, then mine's got to be good. Summarize it this way. The baker had three baskets of bread in his head. The birds were eating out of them. Joseph said the three baskets mean that after three days, the baker would die, and the birds will eat his flesh. Well, that's really, that's really a treat. But that's the truth. Do you understand that? He didn't try to sugarcoat it. He said in three days, just like the baker, in three days, you're going to be taken up also, but you're going to be hung high. You're going to die. Joseph was honest. He didn't try to hide it. Regardless of the consequences, even though there was a death sentence, he told them exactly the truth. Okay, verse 20 to 23. Prophecy fulfilled and promises forgotten. Well, sure enough, verse 20, it came to pass on the third day, which just so happened to be Pharaoh's birthday. Was that a coincidence? No, God knew exactly the right time. Pharaoh's birthday, and he made a feast for all the servants, and he lifted up the head of the chief butler and the chief baker among his servants. Then he restored the chief butler to his uh, butlership again, and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet, the chief butler did not remember Joseph, but he forgot him. The prophecy was fulfilled. The butler forgot. Providential, all in God's timing. Then verse four, 1 of verse 41 It came to pass at the end of two full years that Pharaoh had a dream, and behold, he stood by the river. Two, two more years pass. Joseph, from 17 to 30, is how long? 13 years. We believe that that this, a guesstimate, is he was probably in Potiphar's house about 10 years. That leaves him in prison Three years. He had been a slave in this position then for seven or for thirteen years, from seventeen to age thirty. Two more years he had to wait until he was lifted up. And that's the next section as we look at the story here. Let me let me give you these three observations. First one, Joseph, Joseph was humble. Two, I say that for two reasons. Number one, he served them. Here he'd been in this exalted position, but he served them. He took on that responsibility. And also in verse 7, his sensitivity to them says, why, is your, why do you look so sad? Listen, what does he care? <laughs> really? He's the keeper, or he's the keeper's keeper for the prison. He just has to feed these guys. What does he care? He was sensitive. He was concerned. He was humble. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. Do not do anything out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Do not do anything out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but humbly consider others better than yourselves. 
He was humble. He looked at these two men and he considered others better than himself. He served them. He was concerned about them. Joseph was humble. D.L. Moody said this, Be humble or be in trouble. You either be humble or you stumble. Hudson Taylor was a British Protestant missionary to China. He was the founder of China Inland Missions. Over 800 missionaries through that mission agency went to China. This was in about 1855 to 1905. He ministered in China for 51 years. He knew five Chinese dialects. He translated the New Testament into Chinese of the dialect that he was most familiar with. This is the story. This is told by Warren Wiersbe in Wycliffe Handbook of Preaching. Hudson Taylor was scheduled to speak at a large Presbyterian church in Melbourne, Australia. The moderator of the service introduced the missionary in eloquent and glowing terms. He told the large congregation all that Taylor had done, accomplished in China, and then presented him as our illustrious guest. Taylor stood quietly for a moment, then opened his message by saying, Dear friends, I am the little servant of an illustrious master. Joseph was humble. He was a humble servant of an illustrious master, and it didn't matter the circumstances, whether it was the penthouse or the prison, he was the same. He was humble. The second thing I want you to notice, he was honest. He told the truth. The interpretation of the dream, whether it was good or bad. Proverbs 12, verse 22. The Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in a man or men who are truthful, to be truthful, to be trustworthy. Joseph was honest. Many years ago, the Douglas Aircraft Company was, and this was many years ago, Douglas Aircraft Company was com- competing with Boeing to sell Eastern Airlines as first big jets. Now, Eastern Airlines isn't even in existence, I don't believe, anymore. War hero Eddie Rickenbacker, the head of Eastern Airlines, reportedly told Donald Douglas that the specifications and claims made by Douglas's company for the DC-8 were close to Boeing's on everything except noise suppression. Rickenbacker then gave Douglas one last chance to outpromise Boeing in this failure. After consulting with his engineers, Douglas reported that he didn't feel he could make the promise Rickenbacker He'd make the promise. Rickenbacker replied, I know you can't. I just wanted to see if you were still honest. Listen, you're going to be known by a lot of things. Honesty should be at the top of the list. Joseph was honest, whether it was triumph or tragedy, whether it was the penthouse or the prison, whether it was a good report or a bad report, Joseph was honest, as we'll see later when he talks to Pharaoh. The third thing, Joseph was patient. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily besets us and run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus. What is patience? Steady endurance. He said, I've done nothing wrong. I shouldn't be placed here. Then it came to pass after two years. Joseph was patient. In our daily bread on April 8th, there's this story told, or this report given. 
Hebrews 12.1 tells us to run with patience the race set before us. George Matheson wrote, We commonly associate patience with lying down. We think of it as the angel that guards the couch of the invalid. Yet there is a patience that I believe to be harder, the patience, the patience that can run. To lie down in the time of grief, to be quiet under the stroke of adverse fortune, implies a great strength. But I know of something that implies a strength greater still. It is the power to work under stress, to have a great weight at your heart and still run, to have a deep anguish in your spirit and still perform the daily tasks. It is a Christ-like thing. The hardest thing is that most of us are called to exercise our patience, not in the sickbed, but in the street. To wait is hard. To do it with good courage is harder. When I think of patience, I think of Tom. Physically, we, can't, we could not comprehend Tom as paraplegic. But yet every day he got up. He communicated with how many people, I have no idea. He was always an encouragement. He made it to church every time he could if he wasn't sick. He was patient. See, patience is, is, is that steady endurance. It's not just sitting there languishing, but it's also running the race. And even as we, we endure and face the daily task, whether it's triumph or tragedy, whether it's the penthouse or prison, Joseph was patient. He was humble and he was honest. All of us, at some point in time, and I don't know, maybe you're going through a struggle even right now. You can experience the presence of God and the goodness of God. And also, be patient, humble, and honest as God ministers to you. That godly contentment to run with patience the race that is set before us. Father, we pray as we come to you, we thank you so much for your word. We thank for the challenge from Joseph's life. And indeed, Lord, we do pray that we will wholeheartedly keep our eyes on the God of the circumstances and not the circumstances. Thank you, God, for Joseph's testimony. Lord, I thank you for so many individuals here who have that same type of testimony, who willingly continue to run with patience the race is set before them. I thank you that you are going with them through many of the struggles or tragedies they may be facing. And Lord, I pray for that continued strength and that, that not only will you encourage us through your word, but we will encourage each other and minister to each other. If you're here this morning and you say, Pastor, again, just pray for me. There's some things I'm going through and help me, to, help me to have the faith that Joseph had and just trust God greater. Is anyone like that? Yes, others? Father, I pray now as we go forward, thank you for those hands, but at the same time, Lord, we know that you're, you're working in many of our hearts and our lives. And I pray that we will humbly bring ourselves and put ourselves before you at your feet. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.